You can take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel, the first chapter. As we continue in our Advent series, Unto Us a Child is Born, based in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Uh, as you turn to John chapter 1, uh, I'll tell you, we're going to get there in a minute. I need to apologize a little bit. Today has a great potential of being pretty dry, but there's something very important we need to accomplish, and, and, and part of my task as the pastor and the preacher is to kind of see what's going on in society, to see what's going on in the world, and see what's going on within our own congregation, and sometimes respond in those moments to, to, to what's happening on the larger context. And, and one of the things that's happening in the world is, is our world is, is really moving to this kind of just inclusive kind of mindset. That just everybody should be able to believe what they want to and, and it should all just be accepted and you believe what you want to believe, I believe what I want to believe and we will draw no distinction between that and they're all kind of equal and there's just this, this, per, this push to, to just this wider acceptance. And I understand that, that's friendly, that's nice, and giving people their, their room to, to make their decisions, even kind of part of what our country's built on. But there's, there's a verse in the Bible that uh, most of the world finds terribly offensive, and it, and, and it would be really nice, I mean, it would be friendlier if that verse wasn't there, I'll be honest about that. But the problem is, it is there. And so then we have to, to do something about that. And it's, it's a famous verse. It's from John chapter 14. And it, it says, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I bet you can do the rest. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? And the reason that verse is so offensive in our world is because it's a verse of exclusivity. Jesus is making a statement I am the only way to the Father, right? And, and only means only. No, no other way except. And there's other verses that say similar things. There's, there's no other name in heaven by which men should be saved. That's the name of Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And so the Bible has several verses that talk about this exclusivity of who Jesus is. And as a Bible-believing congregation... We have to say that's what the Bible says, right? And yes, people have the freedom to believe whatever they want to believe, but we have to understand if you don't understand who Jesus is and the only hope that the Bible tells us for salvation is in Christ. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we covered uh, this idea of the wonderful counselor, and we talked about those words in some, in some depth, how wonderful is really that incomprehensible, amazing, mind-blowing aspect of God, and how counselor is connected to God's plan, and that the, the main idea is that God is absolutely going to accomplish what he's proposed to do, and it will be utterly amazing. We'll be blown away. And, and I'm just thinking about even those verses, those names, and well done, Don. I am so glad those words fell on you and not on me. 
And, and I was wondering why Scott skipped that verse last week when he filled. I'm like, now I know why Scott skipped that verse last week because he didn't want to say those. I don't blame him. So well done. But you think about even that part, that in generations after generations after generations, God had this amazing plan to bring the Messiah at the right time and at the right place. And through all the descendants, through Abraham, through David, uh, and, and that he used to bring about Messiah. That's, that will blow your mind. And so, but this is what God proposed to do, and he accomplished it. And so that, that was the, the wonderful counselor. Today, we're going to talk about mighty God. This is the next phrase in the Messianic prophecy from, nine, uh, from chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Now, unlike last week where we dug into the words, these words pretty much mean what you think they mean. Mighty, powerful, heroic, you know, just awesome. Uh, there's no limit to his power. And God, God, that's, that's literally what these words mean. There's no deeper hitting understanding that we might miss in our English translation. That, that, that the Bible, um, so, you know, we studied this word last week. One of the principles I gave last week was how you, you go to the, the Bible, you go to the book that you're reading to see how the same words used over and over and over. Interestingly, in the book Isaiah, the Hebrew word translated God is used about 20 times throughout the rest of the book. And interestingly enough, all 20 times, it's translated God. And that's a little weird because there's variation in words, and a lot of times you'll see words translated slightly differently. But in this case, every time that word is used, it's always translated God. So mighty God, is, is this is who Messiah is going to be. He's going to be God Almighty. And so that's a very important question. And so what I began realizing this series is about, as much as anything, it's really about who Jesus actually is. Who is Jesus? Many of us will go to all kind of events this year. Um, I was talking to Hannah. She just went to one recently that was a big light place. And there, she was talking about how there was this little nativity set up on one part of it. And she was looking at that. We will look at nativities uh, upon nativities upon nativities. Anybody, anybody a nativity collector in our country? You are. You Ah, oh, you're a nativity. All right. All right. So you have lots of baby Jesuses around if you collect nativities, right? And the question is, is when you look at that baby laying in the manger, who are you looking at? What do you think when you look at Jesus laying there in his swaddling clothes? Who is in the manger is one of the most important questions we will ever deal with and face. In Matthew's gospel, the 16th chapter, a couple of verses I want to read to you. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And Son of Man is how Jesus was often referred to himself. And his disciples answered, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter famously responded, you are the Christ the son of the living God. That is really the most important question in all of history. Who is Jesus? Well, if you've been here any long time, I've, I've shared this with you before. There, there's a number of options I see to answer that question. Jesus 
could have been a lunatic, guy crazy, out of his mind, just self-deceived and, and just didn't know it, right? He could have been a liar. He could have known that he wasn't the Messiah, but yet claimed to be the Messiah and was enjoying the popularity and, and was one of the greatest con artists who ever lived. He could have been a legend, a real guy who had a lot of stuff added on to his story, kind of like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. He could have been lesser, meaning that he was a good guy, uh, ranging somewhere between a, a really good guy and a prophet, but always lesser than God, not quite God, or he was who he said he was and who we claim him to be, the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, God Almighty. And these are the options that I see, and, and I really want to focus on just one today. Now, at the beginning, we're going to get to that John passage in a, in a while, but, I, but I, I feel like I needed to do something because of this push from the outside to accept all things. And I realized that this is kind of, this is kind of going to be more of a class than a sermon, I'm afraid, um, but there's some stuff we need to know in our world. And I realized growing up, that there were certain things that I just wasn't really taught or, or given any insight on. Because there's a lot of people who would say these two are the same thing, you know. But obviously, when you and I look at these things, these are not the same, right? If I had asked different questions, we would have got different answers. If I had just simply asked the young ladies, can you make a pie out of your fruit? Yes. I don't know. Maybe you can make an orange pie. Somebody may have done it, but I've never, not too many, you make one. See, I'll throw it at you. Here, make one out of this one. But I'm not one who goes, man, I look forward to hot dogs and orange pie with ice cream. Give me an apple pie with my ice cream, right? But see, if you're crafty, like I was being, if you ask the right questions and make sure you avoid the wrong questions, you can lead people into, into wrong thinking. And, and that happens. And so what I want to do today is talk about some other faiths that claim to be Christian that would say they're the same as you and I. And in many aspects, if we were talking about certain questions, we'd go, oh, yeah, that sounds right. But when it comes down to who Jesus is, there's a big difference. And, and, I, and it's important for me, for us to know, especially for, for our younger people who are living in a world that tells them all things are the same and it's okay, that they at least have some basis for understanding that though they sound the same, that doesn't mean they are the same. And we need to know that. And so there's some, so I'm focusing on a group of people who their answer to who Jesus is is always lesser, that he's lesser than God. Uh, that's their answer to the question. And so there's Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm going to read some things. This is straight from uh, their source material. I want to represent them in their own words and not just put words in their mouth. So I'm going to read some things from their own documentation. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus, Jesus's opposers accused him of making himself equal to God. However, Jesus never claimed to be on the same level as Almighty God. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses say, their documentation. He said, the Father is greater than I. He also said, the Father and I are one. He also said, before David was, I am. Uh, but we won't ask, we won't talk about those verses. 
Jesus' earlier followers did not view him as being equal to Almighty God. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote, After Jesus was resurrected, God exalted him to a superior position. Obviously, Paul did not believe that Jesus was Almighty God. Otherwise, how could God exalt Jesus to a superior position? So their argument is that throughout the Scripture, Jesus always presents himself as the Son, as somehow uh, subordinate to the Father. And I don't agree with that. Jesus was subordinate to the Father. He clearly said, I came to do the will of the Father. But subordination does not equal less than. That you can be equal and subordinate at the same time. And just because Jesus willingly did the will of the Father didn't mean he wasn't equal with the Father. It just meant he was here to serve the Father. The best example that I can give you that I, that I think for you to understand this is that in my marriage, Shelly and I are completely equal. If truth would be known, we're probably not. Because she's probably superior to me, right? She's smarter, better looking, kinder, just better in so many ways than I am, right? But she subordinates herself to me as the head of the household. Doesn't mean we're not equal, that she is just, I have this headship in the household, and she willingly accepts that, although I would tell you in every way we are equal. Now, by the way, just so everybody knows, that whole idea of headship isn't about ruling somebody. It's about responsibility to answer to God. That, that the head of the house is the one who stands before God and says, I'm the one who takes the blame for what went on in my house. And, and it's not like I get to be the big boss. Uh, God is the big boss, and it's the, the heads who have to be responsible to him. But that's at least an idea there that, that just because Jesus did the will of the Father doesn't make him somehow lesser than God. He just was God's servant. Now, this is just one of the ideas that the Jehovah's Witnesses have, but they're always going to say Jesus is lesser than God, that he's a created being, that he, he wasn't actually God. And so they deny the divinity of Christ. A number of... Uh, a number in our congregation have recently had um, encounters with Mormons. Again, Christians, uh, Jews, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons would publicly proclaim to be Christians, but they would deny the divinity of Christ. Here's something uh, uh, in, in their writing the Mormons say this Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay. Your Savior and Redeemer. Okay. Sent to us all, because of him you can find because of him you can find joy in knowing that you live you can live with God and your loved ones for eternity. Okay. That sounds pretty familiar, right? The thing that really disturbed me is when it came to asking the right question and dodging all the right questions, the Latter-day Saints website was very crafty in the questions they asked and the ones they didn't ask. Almost to the point that it convinced me that they're very purposely trying to fool people into understanding. After digging and digging and digging, I came across this kind of statement. This is from the actual president of the Church of Latter-day Saints. So this is what he says. The church's first article in faith states, We believe in God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. All three are mentioned. Good. These three beings make up the Godhead. They preside over this world and all creations of our Father in heaven. I could be still on board with that. Latter-day Saints view, however, the members of the Godhead in a manner that corresponds in a number of ways with the views of other Christians in the world. 
but with significant differences. Latter-day Saints pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. They acknowledge the Father as the ultimate object of worship, the Son as the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit as the messenger and revealer of the Father and the Son. But where Latter-day Saints differ from other Christian religions is their belief that God and Jesus are glorified physical beings. Each member of the Godhead is a separate being. The doctrine of the Godhead has lost, was lost in its apostasy that followed the Savior's mortal ministry and the deaths of the, his first apostles. The doctrine began to be restored uh, by 14-year-old Joseph Smith in his first vision from the prophet's account, the first vision from his other teachings. We know that the members of the Godhead are three separate beings. The Father and the Son have tangible bodies of flesh and bones, and the Holy Ghost is, a person, is the personage personage of the spirit although the members of the godhead are distinct beings with distinct roles they are one in purpose and doctrine they are perfectly united in uh, bringing to pass heavenly father's divine plan of salvation because the truth about the godhead and our because we have the truth about the godhead and our relationship to them we have the ultimate roadmap for our journey through mortality. What they're saying is, we know the way. Jesus isn't the way. We know the actual, we have the real roadmap because we know the actual truth about the Godhead, that it's different than what all other quote unquote Christians believe. We know the right way. That's their claim that their Jesus is a very different Jesus, that he is not God Almighty, that he's a created being just like the Father who has their own body and flesh and, and heaven. And their understanding from their book is the real way. So they make a claim of exclusivity too. Uh, they just not as vocal about it. And so we need to understand that they're talking about apples and when we're talking about oranges even though they sound an awful lot the same. There's Islam and Muslims. Muslims, the reason we cover this one is because they're one of the other three Abrahamic faiths. There's three faiths in the world that go back to Abraham as their father, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. All right. So what do Muslims think about who Jesus is? How do they answer the question? Muslims respect and venerate Jesus Christ. They consider him to be one of, God Almighty, one of Almighty God's greatest messengers to humankind. Uh, they believe in the virgin birth. Islam regards his teachings as a, reaffirm, a reaffirmation and culmination of the teachings of the previous monotheistic religions. Like Judaism and Christianity, hence all Muslims believe in Moses and Jesus as prophets of Almighty God. The Muslim never reveals simply to Jesus as Jesus, but they always add the phrase, upon him may be, upon him, uh, be peace. They believe that he will return one day to usher in peace to this world. Uh, the only records that have come, but they go ahead and say that the only records concerning Jesus are some sketchy biographical material, uh, poorly reached and compiled. That Jesus taught the same eternal message as all messengers of Almighty God from Adam on through Noah, Abraham, Moses, and ending with the mission of Almighty God's uh, last guidepost, the prophet Muhammad. 
whose coming was foretold by Jesus. Every action of people, here's the culmination and conclusion. Every nation and every people from the Aztecs to the Greeks have received a prophet or a messenger from Almighty God. Jesus was the last of a series of messengers sent to the Israelites. But they, but they consistently strayed from the path of the surrender to Almighty God. Each of the many messengers spoke a different language and followed varied customs. Yet the core faith by which each of us uh, are the same, surrender your impact and the fickle will and the perfect will of the power of, the great, of he who is greater than you. You will find the peace and freedom that only the creator of all things can provide. You must do this with the right to God and your fellow creatures. This, was what, this way of life is called Islam. Surrender to the almighty God. Now it's interesting that, the, that Islam views Jesus as one of the mighty prophets of God. One of the greatest prophets, even above Noah and Moses and so forth. But somewhere lesser than Muhammad and certainly lesser than God. But he was a prophet. They actually, of all, the, of all the ones we're looking at today, they actually have the highest opinion of Jesus. That they venerate him above, above uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the final group we're going to talk about, the Jews. I recently watched a, a, a video um, that, that was disturbing to think about how the Jews look and view Jesus. It says, the Jews do not accept Jesus as the Messiah, the cause. Jesus did not fulfill the Messianic prophecies. He did not embody the personal qualifications of the Messiah. That the Bible verses referring to Jesus are mistranslations, and Jewish belief is based on national revelation. In my study about what the Jews believed about Jesus, it was interesting to find that there was a particularly pointed statement addressing the group that we know as Jews for Jesus. Our own missionary, Stuart Wynas, works for the Jews for Jesus, and they had to take a shot at that particular group. Jews for Jesus is one branch of a wider movement called Messianic Jews. Members of this movement are not accepted as Jewish by the broader Jewish community, even though some adherents may be, have been born Jewish and their ritual life includes Jewish practices. While an individual Jew could accept Jesus as a Messiah and technically remain Jewish, rejection of any of the core Jewish beliefs and practices does not negate one's Jewishness. The beliefs of the Messianic Jews are theologically incompatible with Judaism. Judaism does not consider Jesus to be a prophet or a Messiah, and some will even call him a failed Messiah or a false Messiah. Others will call him everything from um, that everything, sorry I lost my place, as everything from a wise rabbi to a heretic. Um, and they find Jesus to be one of the most offensive people that they know. Jews, Jews believe a lot and they accommodate Christians, but they draw a line at calling Jesus prophet or Messiah, that he was just a man. So it's interesting that Islam has the highest of those views. So those are other views. Those are ways other people answer this question, who is Jesus? But I want you to turn to John 1, 1 through 14. And how we arrive at our answer of who Jesus is. Really these first 14 verses of John is all about Jesus's, Jesus being identified. John starts off his gospel and says, I want you to know who I'm talking about and I want you to know what I think about him. And we're going to walk through these verses uh, together. Um, but we're going to start, if you'll jump down to um, 
verses 14 through 18. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. Verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so I want to start there because it's in these verses that Jesus is really named. Uh, that this is, up to this point, he's referred to as a number of things. And in this last couple of verses, it encapsulates all that he's talked about up to this point and just kind of names, this is Jesus, verse 18. We, grace and truth came through Jesus. So it's clear John is talking about the man from Nazareth that we know as Jesus, right? Other ways that Jesus is identified in this passage and even in these verses, he's called the Word. The Word became flesh. We're going to see verses 1 through 5 here in a minute, and it again refers to him as the Word. He's called the Son in these verses, as the only Son. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Uh, he's called eternal. In, in verses 15 through 18, it talks about John the Baptist was, this is who John was talking about, who comes after me is mightier than me. And he's mightier than me because he was before me. Now, if you know anything about the story of John the Baptist and Jesus, John is Jesus' cousin, and he's six months older than Jesus, right? So why would John say Jesus was before him if he was six months older? Well, the reason is because John realized this is God. This is the eternal one who existed before I existed. Even though in earthly terms I'm six months older, he is the ancient one. He's the eternal one. And John is pointing out the eternality of Jesus, right? His eternal nature, that he was before me. This is, again, what Jesus says about himself when he's questioned. He's like, before David was, I am. And so he makes the same claim himself a little later on in the, in the gospel. And finally, he's recognizing these verses as God. In verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And just think about the, the passage I was reading from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Their, their, their point is Jesus doesn't claim to be God because he sits at the side of God, right? He's elevated to this, this special position to be at the right hand of God. And this verse confirms that, right? The one who's sitting at God's side is, if you back up, who is at the Father's side? The only God, <laughs> right? Only God is sitting next to God the Father, Jesus the Son. And so we are Trinitarian. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally God and yet separate in person, and so we see that same thing. We just draw a different conclusion and say, yes, he can sit at the Father's side. And he reveals God to us because he is the only God himself. And so this passage wraps up with this kind of bringing it all together. But I wanted to start there because this is the only place in this passage where Jesus is named. And we can't get around that this is who these passages are talking about. So as we turn back to to chapter 1 uh, verses 1 through 5 if you jump back up there 
we're going to read about the actions of God. So what does God do? What does Jesus, the Almighty God, do? It says, in the beginning was the Word. We've already identified that the Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God. We've identified that He's there with God, sitting at the right side again. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you think back to Genesis 1, in the beginning... God, right? That's where we start. Jesus was there, and it's God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Now, who made everything? God, right? And without him, nothing, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When we look at this story, we see the actions of God. It's clearly telling us Jesus was there at the beginning when the light God said, let there be light, and it came. God said, let us breathe into man's nostrils, and they became a living being. We see the actions of God, that God is the creator, and this verse clearly tells us that nothing was made that has been made that wasn't made through the word Jesus. Jesus is mighty God. It confirms that he has the actions and the, and the power of God within him. Life and creation and light. Verses 6 through 8 tell us about John coming into the world and what he's trying to establish to get people to realize and believe in Jesus as God. Verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. John's having to draw a distinction between John the Baptist and Jesus because people were amazed at John and his teaching. And he went around the countryside and, and he, he might have fit that wonderful counselor part, right? That, that he's doing amazing and crazy things and we don't understand all he's teaching and doing. And the, and the whole world was abuzz. And, and, and John, the gospel writer, is saying, but you got to get this. He came not as a light, but to get people to believe in the light, to put their faith in Jesus, that God has come, that this is the Messiah promised from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God. It goes on for verses 9 through 13, and we see what the purpose of Jesus is. So why did God come? Why is God Almighty here? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I want you to get verse 11 and think about what we talked about, what the Jewish people believe. All right? The people who had the least opinion of Jesus were the Jews themselves. Verse 11 may hint to why that is. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God came. To make us children of God. 
That's his purpose. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was incarnated. This is God. And, and so I would say it takes God's actions is needed to make children of God. This is his will. This is his plan. This is part of that wonderful counsel that he had. This is what he proposed to do. I'm going to send my son to bring people into a right relation, to make children of God to those who would believe. That's who Jesus claims to be. That's who we believe he is. Jesus is mighty God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. There are other options out there to who he could be. And so when we talk about faith and putting our faith in Christ, putting all your eggs in the basket of Jesus, this is what we're talking about. Selling out to this idea. Jesus is God. See, too many people define Christianity as those who follow, listen to, and try to perform the teachings of Jesus. That is not what a Christian is. Should a Christian follow and perform and try to do the teaching of Jesus? Certainly a Christian should, but that's not the defining characteristic of Christianity, knowing and doing his teachings. Because lots of people do that. What defines a Christian is how you answer, who is that in the manger? Is that a good guy? Is that some crazy dude that's going to grow up and be self-deceived? Is that a con man? Is that somehow a a, a prophet or or a blessed one of God? Or is that the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, God Almighty in human flesh? How you answer that question makes all the difference. So who is Jesus? I remind you what the disciples said. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They all gave lesser answers. Right? Some say John the Baptist, who John said he was lesser. Elijah, who was a prophet that would have been lesser. Jeremiah, a lesser, another prophet that would have been lesser than God. And others, just some of the prophets. This is a popular answer that he's somehow lesser than God. Then he asked the really pointy question. But who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the prophesied one, the son of God. That's who we worship in that little manger, amazing as it is.